Welcome to the Adoption Connection Podcast, where we share resources by and for adoptive and foster moms. I'm Lisa Qualls. And this is Melissa Corkum. Don't worry, we get it and we're here for you. Hey, Lisa, how are you? Hey, Melissa, I'm good. I am so good and I am really good because you got to announce last week something super, super exciting that I've had the privilege of being a little bit in the know about um, just because we've been working together. But do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yes. Last week, I got to announce that I have written a book with Dr. Karen Purvis and that I just signed a contract with Harvest House, the publisher that's going to publish and release the book. So, you know, for anybody who knows who Karen Purvis is, Dr. Karen Purvis, this is a really special deal because this is her last written work before she passed away from her battle with cancer. And we worked on this book for years through many, many hardships. And uh, we persevered and got it to a really good point before um, she passed away. And her long-term assistant, Emily, has stepped in to help me finish up some things. And it's going to happen. And we this is a long-awaited dream come true for me. It's so cool. I mean, so many of us were just devastated when Dr. Purvis passed away. She has meant so much to us and her calm, caring voice and the way that she has brought us so many healing tools and understanding about our kids. And no one knew that she had been working on another book, really. We all thought that we had kind of lost her voice, you know, except for the books and the videos that she left behind, but that we didn't really have her anymore. And so this kind of finale or encore where we have this special surprise where, you know, it almost feels like she's speaking to us up from heaven and she's coming down and she's still here walking alongside us and she's going to give us this new resource. And so it just feels like such a huge blessing. I am so excited. And when you told me you had worked on this with her, I mean, I was dumbfounded. I just couldn't believe that she still had work to be shared. So I am super, I'm just as excited as anyone else. I'm so thankful to Karen's family that this project is so important to them as it is to me and that they fully support and want to see it published and they want to see her work go forward. You know, they love her very much and I'm just so honored to even get to be part of this. So speaking of authors, this week's guest is Pam Parrish and she's the author of three books. One of them is a devotional for battle-weary parents. And so we know that a lot of us are kind of what we call in the trenches, really struggling with a lot of challenging behaviors, feelings of isolation. And I remember when I first read this book and walked through it with a couple of women, it was life-changing for me. So I'm really excited, Lisa, to hear your interview with Pam. Well, today I get to welcome my friend Pam Parrish to the Adoption Connection podcast. I'm really happy to have my friend here. Welcome, Pam. So glad to be here, Lisa. I, anytime I get a chance to spend some time with you, it's an honor. I feel exactly the same. And a popular speaker, especially at women's and adoption-related events. Even better, she's a mom of eight kids and a nana to four, which I'm just a tiny bit jealous about. So that's my favorite part. Nana. Yeah, definitely. Um, she's also the founder of Connections Homes. Pam, I was thinking it would be great if you would start out by just telling us your story of how you came to adoption and foster care. 
Well, I mean, we kind of came to it because I've got these devotions out. People tend to think I came to it because God called me. It's a big calling. That was not it at all. We had one biological daughter. She was 11. We had always wanted to adopt, but I had worked a, a corporate job. The hours were eight to faint. Just never had the opportunity. We moved to Atlanta in 2006 and realized that um, there were all these kids in foster care that were older. I never knew that there were older kids that were available for adoption. My idea was of adoption was tons of paperwork, two years wait, and going and getting a kid from China. So by the time Kristen was 11, there was no way I was going back to diaper bags and the toddler years. So we had kind of already put that out of our heads. Well, then when I found out about older kids in foster care, we jumped right in. My husband and I were like, we can do this. This is something we can do. Kristen had always wanted a sibling. So we had um, envisioned these uh, two best friend little girls, Disney movies, and, you know, skipping hand in hand to the bus stop and, you know, kind of all of those things. So we ended up bringing Heather, our first daughter, home in 2007. She was also 11. We didn't also didn't know there were rules about ages, and we went into it totally blind. We were one and done. I mean, honestly, we had no intention of adopting again. And then about a year later, um, I was doing what I do. I just get involved in things. So I was doing support groups and helping out at our adoption agency on a volunteer basis. And we came into contact with a 15 year old and her story. And one night I was just talking to my husband and I had told him that her adoptive placement had disrupted and they had sent her back into foster care. That at 16, she was probably very unlikely to get adopted at all. And then I think I went on in conversation talking about our next vacation or what, you know, it was just a, it was a, a side. Like, by the way, this happened today. It's sad. Let's move on. He said, wait, wait, wait. And I was like, okay. He was like, call Suzanne. That was our caseworker at the time. Call her and tell her we'll take her. And I was like, what? <laughs> and he said, yeah, I, I can't imagine not having family. So we literally met her on our doorstep two weeks later. I had never met her before. So she came into our family. She was 15. When he said, contact our caseworker, was he thinking foster care or was he thinking adoption all in? He was all in. He was thinking adoption. Wow. You know, so many people, because I'm the face of our family, think that it was all my idea. Aside from the first one, when I went out and said, look, I watched this show on PBS about the heart gallery and there's all these kids. And he said, let's go. Aside from that, it's all been him. That's unique. <laughs> it is unique. He's just, he's an incredibly amazing guy. He's very compassionate. So um, we brought Kelsey home and she was 15. So now we've got, you know, two 12 year olds um, going on 13 and then a 15 year old. Then we brought our niece and nephew home. Oh, I didn't know you had a kinship placement. Yeah, we had a kinship placement for about six months. And um, so then we had five kids in the house, um, all between the ages of 12 and 16, four girls and one boy. And it was chaos <laughs> because I had no idea. And it was around that time that I attended my first CAPO, Christian Alliance for Orphans Conference. I did it for my church because we were looking at an orphan care ministry. Wasn't there for myself. 
walked in, heard Karen Purvis speak, and my life was changed. And I realized, you know, there was so much I didn't know that I didn't know. And I was drowning in our family and doing it all wrong. And everything just changed at that point in our story. And I grabbed hold of TBRI and Empowered to Connect like a man in a desert grabs a bottle of water. It was giving me everything that you can. And my husband and I went to Texas two months after that conference to become certified as empowered to connect trainers because it was just, it was life. Let me, let me just clarify for anyone who doesn't know that TBRI is the acronym for trust-based relational intervention. It was developed by Dr. Karen Purvis and David Cross at uh, TCU. And then the empowered to connect is sort of the parent I know version may not be the right word, but TBRI is a little bit more for professionals and Empowered to Connect is a little bit more for parents. Would you agree with that, Pam? That Empowered to Connect gives parents the toolkit that they need to parent well using TBRI principles. Yes. We thought we were done. The Lord wasn't done with us. We ended up bringing an 18-year-old home whose adoption had disrupted. Um, She was adopted from Ukraine into U.S., they had disrupted at 18 years old. We heard about it, we brought her home. And then she went to ministry school, called us one day and said, uh, I've got this friend in ministry school. Um, she's going to be homeless in a couple of weeks when school closes. Can she come home? Sure. So uh, <laughs> then there was another daughter. And then uh, our last five came to us after the age of 18. Our pastor called us at 1131 night. He had a 17-year-old orphan on it on their doorstep, and she had nowhere to go. So he called me, and she ended up becoming part of our family. One of our daughters came to us aging out of foster care. Her school advocated for her because um, she was told she could either find somewhere to go or go to a homeless shelter on her 18th birthday. So uh, we went and picked her up at school on her 18th birthday and brought her home. Our last daughter, our eighth daughter, came to us through Connections Home. Okay, so a couple questions. The first one, did you legally adopt kids that were over 18, or is it more of an understanding and a family agreement? So Katya, we legally adopted, and the other four, we are in the legal adoption process right now. Tell me what your motivation is to actually legally adopt if they're already legally adults? what How it, does that work in your mind and your heart? Well, one, it makes them feel more like a part of the family because their last name changes to ours. It falls under an inheritance law, adult adoption does, so it makes them legal heirs to our estate, making them legal, our legal daughters. I think the motivation is just to come in. We're already in covenant relationship. I mean, as far as God is concerned and I'm concerned, they're our daughters and we're their parents. And we've operated like that for years. Taking that extra step of going through the adult adoption process for us is about giving them the gift of truly being ours in in, in the sight of the law. All four of ours, except for one, will change their last names. One of our daughters is already married. So we're going to let her keep her last name. (laughs) She gets an official middle name of ours, but you know, just it's that last step of permanency, even after 18, like they still feel that I'm part of this family, but my last name is different. And so we, we are actively, we engaged a lawyer just about three weeks ago to finish the process on our last four. We hadn't done it for school purposes, 
for those that were in college because it impacted their financial aid for us to become legally their parents. Um, so while they finished their school, we held off. Right. There are benefits um, for foster youth in particular uh, for getting their education paid for. So, okay, well, I want to direct us a little a little different direction um, and talk about battle-weary parents. So you've written several books, and we're going to have links to all of those in the show notes. But one title in particular, I think, resonates with me a lot and with a lot of what I write and a lot of the moms who come to me, and that is Ready or Not for Battle-Weary Parents. So I'm curious, what led you to write that book? What was the, the moment when you thought, oh my goodness, I need to write this book? Well, the, I really felt like the Lord was calling me to write because the more that I got out there, like many of the families that I was seeing, we were drowning. And there were so many days that I felt like I wanted to quit. Like I didn't know where I was going to get the energy for the next day to do the next thing. Because we had at any, at one point we had five of our girls in crisis. And when I mean crisis, I mean behaviors like running away or sexual identity crises crises or drugs and alcohol or cutting. Like we were going through all of this stuff and it felt so overwhelming. And some of those seasons overlapped. Some of them were simultaneous, but I was crying out to the Lord and begging him to intervene. I lived every day of that 30 day devotion, every day of that 30 day devotion. I can't hardly even go back and read it sometimes because it makes me cry. And I remember the depth of feeling like, God, I need you to show up right now. I need to know that there's beauty for ashes. Lord, I need to believe that there's the oil of joy for mourning. And I need this right now in my life. I need you to send people around me. I need you to rescue my daughters. I need you to give me wisdom. Like all of those deep places were places that I was living. It wasn't just, this book wasn't just like a good idea. It was my life. I, I lived it. And God told me to write it down. And so a lot of it is personal journal, pieces of my personal journaling and personal scriptures that God gave me in, in key moments that really helped me to get through things. One of the days, I think I talk about a 10-day fast that I went on. Literally on day 10, there was breakthrough. You know, so it was, it was just, it was a lived thing that this is the reality of so many adoptive and foster parents because these kids, we become their safe place. You know, this as, as well as I do. And once they're safe, then their true selves could come out. And what's really deeply in there comes out ugly sometimes. A lot of times it comes out ugly to stand there and be that person who one counted an honor that you're that person, but two doesn't know how you're going to withstand the storm and just trust that the Lord has it in the midst of it. And that's what battle weary is about. Like I was battle weary. It's like, God, I know you've called me to this. I know you've equipped me for this. I know that it's in your strength that I'm made strong, but right now I am weak and I am frail and I would like to just wake up tomorrow and have one good day. Just one. When people read it and then they reach out to you, is there anything in particular that kind of gets repeated again and again? Everybody says, it's like you're living in my house. I'm like, I was living in your house because this, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's all different, but it's the same. You know, when, when these kids have experienced this type of compounded grief and trauma and loss, 
it may look a little bit different in your house, but it's the exact same thing. So we were living the same thing. And that's the most common thing I get is just, thank you for writing that. I would have given up if I hadn't been able to grab hold of the Lord in that way. And to me, that's just the highest honor is that people turn to God. It's not about me. It's, it's turning to Jesus because I wouldn't be here without him. One of the things people often say to me is, I didn't know anybody else felt that way. Because I think when we're struggling so much and we're beginning to even wonder, am I the mom I thought I was? I can't believe I'm thinking these things or feeling these things. And then to have someone like you put some of those thoughts into words and publish them very boldly. Like it, it takes courage to do that. I think people feel like, oh, okay, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one. You know, I think the transparency, I heard Donald Miller speak years ago, um, the author of Blue Light Jazz. And someone asked him how he was able to write so transparent. You know, when I'm writing, I have learned that I go right to the line where I'm, where I'm com- uncomfortable. And then I take one step beyond. One step beyond. One step beyond it. I'm like, this really makes me comfortable, uncomfortable. So I'm going to push it just a little bit. It really stuck with me when he said that. And so when I write, especially when I know that it's going to help others, I've just learned to be transparent with what I'm going through. Because look, we're all on the same journey. The best thing that we could say to one another is one of my favorite refresh lines, me too. Just because I've got a book or I might be speaking or leading the workshop doesn't mean that I'm doing it any better than you are. You know, as well as I do, that when we're preparing to speak or preparing for a workshop, we're better parents. Because you let a month go by after that, and I'm still doing the same things that I know better than to do. So we're all in, we're all in, we're all going through the same things. And it's just, it's hard, but there is beauty for ashes. And I think that's the core of my message is that I want to inspire people to keep going. These kids are so valuable. They turn 26 and that frontal cortex comes online. I mean, I'm starting to see some of that in my girls and If you can just wait and love and not be so hard on yourself and not so hard on your kid, there is a brighter tomorrow. There is the oil of joy for morning. He he just meets you where you are. You sound confident about that right now. Did you always feel that confident? No, that's an easy answer. Like I, I, I can remember with many of my girls, several in particular that I thought were never going to we're never going to get to a place where our relationship is healthy and that they're settled. But I'm watching it. Ha- now, not all of our girls are in good places right now still. Like we've still got some that are, they're working out their own story, but our relationships are good and they're intact. Um, not all where I want them to be, but they're intact. And I think I look back and I wish I could go back and whisper in my ear that it's going to be okay. And, and there really will be a day. I had a, a friend of mine who had a daughter who was kind of estranged from their family, an adopted daughter for like five years. And the beautiful story of her coming back and just making that call one day saying, I get it. I want you to be in my life. And, and the story in those five years was that they just kept showing up in her story with love. They just kept showing up whether she wanted it or not. That to me has been my plumb line with my kids is that my job is to keep showing up in your story, regardless of what you give me in return for that love. And that's the hard part because 
when you show up with love in your kid's story and they give you back resentment and all you were doing was just trying to show them love again, it's hard to get back up and show up again the next time. But I can tell you that the more we do that, it does pay off. And I think the Lord brought that story into my life for that. So when you do show up and your child doesn't respond the way you hope, what keeps you going? I mean, what helps you get back up and keep going? The only answer to that is the Lord and knowing that, that you've been called. Like God does nothing by accident. These kids are a part of my life because God put them. I mean, and truly, honestly, in my story, not because I went out and was seeking all of this. I mean, we were done after one. But God perfectly aligned our stories. And I know that he has a purpose and a plan for their lives. He loves them more than I do. And there's no way that I can outshow up Jesus. I just can't outshow up Jesus. Jesus went to the cross for on my behalf, regardless of whether I've rejected him. Regard, I mean, like all of this stuff, like Jesus went to the cross absolutely innocently. So if I show up in my kid's story innocently with no ulterior motives, and they backhand me, not physically, but with their words or with their actions or with their not being grateful or whatever that looks like. That is no different than the way that I've treated the Lord. And I think to me, it's just being Jesus with skin on in front of my kids. Because if I don't, they won't know their Savior. And ultimately, to me, it's about them knowing that there is a God who loves them, who will sacrifice everything for them, who has sacrificed everything for them. And I'm going to continue to sacrifice and continue to love so that they see that lived out in front of them. And I think sometimes we have to think that um, we're going to sow the seeds that God's given us to sow. You know, our part is to sow it. And then really... It's God who has to bring about whatever fruit is going to be produced from that because we can't change our kids' hearts. We can't make them feel something they don't feel. We can only give what we can give. And I think part of it is just honoring their right to live out their own story. Here's the thing. One, God showed up in my story years ago when I was facing an especially difficult time with one of our girls. And I was brooding to the Lord in prayer about woes me, why me, why is this happening to me? And very quietly, I, I heard the Spirit say, um, who told you you get to write her story? And he took me to Hebrews, the verse in Hebrews that says, God is the author and the finisher of our faith. Not your parents, God. And he's reminded me over and over and over again that only a drug addict can adequately minister to a drug addict. Only a mom who was a single teenage pregnant mom can adequately come alongside a teenage pregnant girl and, and say me too. In in those same ways, our kids are sometimes walking out their me too's that they're going to give somebody behind them one day. And I don't get to write that script. I'm just a character in the story. And I have to determine if I'm going to be the helper or the villain in their story. 
And, and my goal has always been that I'm going to be a supporting character in your story, your number one fan, your biggest cheerleader. And yes, I'm a mom. So you're going to get a mom lecture every once in a while. You're going to get mom rolling her eyes at you every once in a while. And, and we're going to have some healthy conflict every once in a while. But that doesn't change the fact that I'm going to show up in your story and support you. And to the best that I can on a daily basis, try not to, to control your story because I, I honestly don't have, don't get a chance to write it. That's gone. I think sometimes I have to remember that I cannot take things personally because if I take all of my kids' responses personally, uh, it, I will get too discouraged. And I think when we can keep our minds in the state that you're talking about of remembering it's not, about us, you know, that it's, it is a story God's writing in their lives. And I always tell people, you can't deprive your child of their own journey with Jesus. You know, like I would love for my kids to have really easy stories, but they don't. I have to accept that and I have to let them work it out and not try to control it myself. And that's, it's so hard to do because we feel like we know better. And honestly, we don't because we don't know what God, how God's going to use that moment in their life in their future. And we don't know that God didn't, you know, God doesn't orchestrate sin. He's not the author of sin, but, but he uses everything. It says he takes, makes beauty from ashes. So every part of our story, he uses it. And so God allows things to happen. And he says, okay, I'm, I'm, I see that, but I'm going to redeem it. And I'm going to redeem it in ways that you have no idea. So anytime that my kids have been in something, I've tried to remind myself when I look at it, whether it's drug addiction or whatever, I've tried to look at it and say to God, I can't wait till the day you're redeeming in their life because you're going to redeem this moment. And when you do, they're going to look back and they're going to see the redeeming hand of the Lord in their life when they're sitting 20 years from now side by side with somebody who has a kid who's struggling with a drug addiction or has um, is struggling with one themselves because, and they're going to see that you've just redeemed a piece of their story. That's really, really hopeful. So the way the book is laid out, it's 30 days. Is that correct? Tell me a little bit about how a person would actually use the book. So my goal would be that you would use it with someone else, um, that you would do it with your spouse or a best friend or a small group. Um, because the more people that we get into understanding the depths of what we're going through as foster and adoptive parents, the less alone we are. We, we do have a tendency, and you said it earlier, we have a tendency to isolate and feel like there's nobody else who understands or is going through. The first thing is do is get somebody to go through it with you. It's laid out. You read a little bit of content every day. There is some scripture um, that kind of backs up the content for the day. There's one main scripture and then some supplementary scriptures. There's a prayer starter. Like I, I give you like, go to the Lord with this and here's the start of your prayer. And then there's an opportunity to journal and there's some questions to ask yourself. And the questions are pretty tough questions. Like it's a, it's, I want you to really ask yourself why you're doing this and why you're feeling this way. So um, every day has that in it. So the goal is to just take every day and do one piece of content. And what's your hope for when someone finishes the book? What is your hope? What do you hope will, from when they started to when they finished, what do you hope will have changed? I hope that they will 
look at their children differently and see the value that God has on that child from his perspective. And I also hope that they will feel encouraged that God has them and that just as much as he values that child, he values them and that they're precious in his sight. The parent, like you're precious in God's sight. He sees where you are. He's loving on you where you are. And he's transforming you into his image. And transformation isn't always comfortable. It's, it's most of the time it's painful. Um, but there is going to come another side when you look back and you think, I made it through that and I'm a better me because of it. Wow, Lisa. Pam has such an amazing story. I think it's so fascinating how they kind of started out just thinking they would adopt one daughter and then ended up with seven more. And her heart for kids who have aged out of the foster care system really resonates with me. So I really appreciated what she's doing to help adults feel like they have permanency within their family. Yeah, I loved getting to talk with her. She's really a remarkable person. I think one of the things I loved most about the interview and about the book is that she's so transparent and so vulnerable. And like she said, she lived the devotional as she wrote it. So she's right there in the midst of it with so many of us parents. And I love the comment that people say, it's like you were living in my house. I know that many of us can understand that feeling. And I think it's just a great blessing that she wrote this from her heart and her own experience. Yeah, it's definitely true. I think the devotion will definitely make you feel heard, which is so important when we're walking through this journey. So Melissa mentioned that we have a special um, sort of gift from Pam. She has generously given us a free excerpt from her book that you can download and um, read. And if you're interested in the entire book, we will have links to that book and all of her other books in our show notes. You can find Pam on Facebook as Pam Parrish. You can also find her on her website, pamparish.com. And she mentioned she hasn't updated it in a long time, but she does have a lot of great content there that you'll enjoy. Yep. You can find the show notes and the download from Pam at theadoptionconnection.com slash 11. We've come to the part in the podcast that we call Mentor Moments, where we answer a listener question. This week's question is, how do we help our kids navigate hard questions at school? So Lisa, what are the best questions that your kids have heard? Oh boy. You know, it just depends a lot on how old they are. I think young children are most inclined to ask sort of obvious visual things like, why are you black and your parents white? That's a typical kind of question younger kids will ask. And sometimes they'll even ask me. Um, older kids or sort of that middle age of kids will sometimes ask really painful questions like, why did your first mom give you away? Or why did your mom give you away is usually what they would say. Or is that your real mom? Teens are able to grapple with things that are a little bit more complex, but then they sometimes might assume things about a kid like, well, you, your mom must have been on drugs. There are a lot of different kinds of questions our kids can get at different ages. And I know that we've talked about this too. Melissa, why don't you um, share some of the things that we've learned? Yeah, I remember probably that one of the most valuable things that we took away from our adoption training 10 years ago. There was not a whole lot of trauma-informed things and a lot of other things that were helpful, but this was really helpful. And our social worker 
pointed us to something called the WISE UP training. And WISE is actually an acronym. And it gives kids four options when someone asks them a question that they're unsure how to answer. So the W stands for walk away. Just because someone asks a question does not mean it necessarily needs an answer. And, you know, our kids don't need to be rude when they do this, but they can just say, I'd rather not talk about it right now or, you know, find some other excuse to walk away or some distraction or something like that. The I stands for it's private. Um, And so, again, we should be protecting our child's story because it's theirs to share. And they may decide that it's the answer to that question is not something that they're willing to share. And they may just say, that's a private part of my story that I'd rather not share. The S stands for share something about your story. And in this case, especially if it's a personal question, your child might choose to actually answer the question. And so they may, might say something like, well, you know, my mom was too poor to take the best care of me or whatever the situation may be, or my mom died or whatever it is. And then the last part is educate about adoption in general. And so that might sound like not giving away a part of your story, but just talk about answers in general. So I actually find myself doing this sometimes when people will ask me something specific about our kids is I'll say, well, a lot of kids are adopted because, or a lot of moms make adoption plans because. And so I'm not committing to my particular answer, but I'm kind of educating about some of the possible answers. So those are four different ways that our kids can kind of approach it. The first two are kind of a little less involved, a little less committal, and the second to take a little bit more energy. But, you know, in the name of helping educate more people can be really valuable as well. Yeah, something we've done in our family goes a little bit with the S of share something about your story. And that is to give kids a simple, simple script. You know, something that we talk about together in advance of what they would want to share. And then um, they can practice it and then they can use it when they're asked. And we've done this actually not just with adoption, but um, when we had a terrible accident and people were asking questions, some insensitive, some sensitive, um, we gave our kids words because we knew they were going to go to school and be faced with questions. And so we gave them a simple, simple script to use. So that would be a good thing to talk about with your child is say, you know, when someone asks you this question, what is it that you'd want them to know and what would you not want them to know? And then maybe have them put together a little script with you and they can always rely on that when they come up with, you know, when kids come up with these questions. Yeah, that's a great, really great piece of advice and maybe role-playing. It may sound kind of silly, but, you know, we want to empower our kids to have the tools and not feel like a deer caught in the headlights when these things come up. So. Right, because they may end up sharing something that they, if they had planned, would not have shared, maybe didn't want to share, but they felt like they had to say something, and they start talking off the top of their head, and all of a sudden they've said something that they wish they hadn't. So that's a good reason to help them with a script. Perfect. Well, if you'd like to submit a question for a future episode, send an email to email at theadoptionconnection.com, or you can call in and record your question at 208 741 3880. 
Additionally, if you're just feeling overwhelmed or at the end of your rope and you need more personalized help, we do offer private coaching. For more information or to schedule a free session, you can head to theadoptionconnection.com slash services. Before you go, we'd love to connect with you on social media. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram as The Adoption Connection. Thanks so much for listening. We love having you. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a quick review over on iTunes. It will help us reach more moms who may be feeling alone. And remember, until next week, you're a good mom doing good work and we're here for you. The music for the podcast is called New Day and was created by Lee Rosevere.